The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Welcome to the Friday edition of Passion, the night that uh, I share some of the latest uh, news stories that have to do with sexuality with you. Some of the stories that we're going to be talking about, uh, women are tweeting pics of their undies, but for a good reason. Uh, Fascinating facts about our fantasies. Uh, I don't know if you heard this story, but kids as young as eight are sharing nude pictures of themselves online, apparently unsolicited. We'll find out what that's all about. And few of us Canadians apparently are uh, uh, we're not getting tested. Many of us, rather, are not getting tested for STIs. So we'll examine that. And why are we having so little sex worldwide, it seems? So those are some of the stories I'll follow up with. Uh, but first... We'll get Time to. to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800 or 514-800. The beginning of every show, I like to answer some of your questions and help you out. So if you have questions right here, right now, you can send them in at 514-800. You can even send in some of your comments on uh, the questions that I will be answering or anything that we're talking about tonight. And if you miss out tonight, well, you can always email me your question, Lori at drlori.com, and I'll be happy to answer them uh, next week. Uh, hello there. I listen to your interesting show as often as possible. My favorite days for your show are Tuesday and Friday because you cover the widest range of topics on those two days. Um, let's see. Uh, I'm a melomaniac and want to know about any studies showing people's music preferences while making love. I often love to have classical music, dance, hip-hop, pop, or hard rock music playing in the background before and while having sex, depending on the mood. Most of the women I know, however, prefer quiet and silence during sex. One woman I had a relationship with actually loved listening to pop rock, easy listening, or elevator music during lovemaking. Have there been studies on this topic? What about people's musical fetishes regarding sex? So that's a great question, and we can throw that out to our listeners as well. What kind of music, or do you like silence? Do you not like to listen to music while making love, or what kind of music do you listen to uh, during lovemaking? Give us your musical uh, uh, recommendations, if you will. As far as musical fetishes, I, I don't know of any fetish that has to do with music. Usually a fetish would be uh, an arousal to something that is non-sexual, like an inanimate object, for example, like a foot fetish or an object uh, fetish. The musical stuff, I've not heard of that. But I did do a little bit of search in uh, the literature, the scientific literature, to see uh, what kind of studies have been done around music. And what I found was a whole bunch of studies that link sex, drugs, and music, and uh, they say that it does the same thing to our brain. It affects the same neurotransmitters. So I found that to be uh, very interesting. Other studies also show that music affects our sexual attraction. Apparently, uh, music has a positive influence, uh, how women perceive the opposite sex 
their faces, so attraction to their faces, and they rated men as more attractive when they'd been exposed uh, first to highly stimulating and complex music. I couldn't find what that music exactly was, uh, but there was no effect on the men. Uh, something else, a few other studies talk about uh, sexy music. Again, uh, they rated, I guess they had a bunch of people rating the music in terms of level of sexiness. Uh, sexy music is linked to increased arousal. Uh, so in other words, it enhances the feeling of being touched by someone else so that it has some impact on the brain and links those two things. Uh, another study found that couples who listen to music together have more sex than couples who don't listen to music out loud together. So there's another uh, reason for music stimulating that area. Uh, exposure or ex uh, experience of the experience of sex uh, that is amplified with music also. So uh, your pleasure is amplified when there is music in the background and apparently also deepens your connection with your partner and subdues uh, negative emotions. So overall, bottom line is music is a sexual enhancer, maybe not one that we think about too much, although many people do listen to music during lovemaking, and certainly some have their favorite uh, CDs or their favorite uh, 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 songs that they like to play. What's the word I'm, I'm looking for? Uh, when you've got your list of songs on your phone, uh, your playlist, so uh, and people say, oh yeah, that's my you know sex playlist or, or what have you. And then some people prefer silence, but there is definitely a positive connection between music and one's experience of sexuality, which is enhanced through music. So those are the studies that I have found. I've not seen anything about a musical uh, fetish, and I've not, aside from that one sex difference, I've not seen any other uh, gender differences in the studies that I looked at. But those were just several of the studies that I, uh, that I looked at. All right, one more question. Uh, my boyfriend of over a year now masturbates a lot. I'm stressing a lot, sometimes in his sleep, in the car, while driving, and sometimes he prefers it over sex with me. I give oral sex every chance I can because I enjoy it, but I don't get oral anymore. I used to last year. He stopped kissing me. We do the same position every time. He has to use a numbing spray sometimes, or he comes very fast. He uses a pump. He uses penis rings. He hides his masturbation from me. He hides the fact that he watches porn a lot on his phone and laptop. He uh, doesn't care about my climax while having sex. I know he can ejaculate and then go again in a little bit, but he won't. After sex or oral sex, and just about every time he masturbates and does ejaculate. I don't know what to do anymore. And we watch porn while having sex, which I'm okay with, but a majority of our selection is what he likes. We'll have sex, which he is good at, by the way. We'll go to sleep, and then the porn keeps playing all night, He'll wake up, watch it, and jerk off secretly. I once confronted him about it, and he got all mad and defensive. I'm horny all the time, and I want sex from him all the time. Wow. Now, if this isn't an example of a sex addiction, I don't know what is. This is 
compulsive sexuality. He is compulsive about his masturbation. I mean, you talk about it driving in the car and in sleep and, I mean, in, in every possible opportunity that he has. That is uh, compulsive sexual behavior and certainly does fit with the definition of um, a sex addiction, especially because his activities interfere with your sex life, clearly interfering with your sex life. So it is definitely a problem. The two of you are going to need to go get help with this. I would check out the website um, www.iitap.com, the international, uh, it's for, uh, it's the addictions uh, uh, website basically, which there's a quiz on there that your partner can take uh, and it'll give you a really good indication whether you are in fact dealing with a, uh, a sex addiction and uh, and hopefully he'll recognize it and want to get help. But I can tell you that if you do nothing about this, it will destroy your relationship at some point. This is what happens. So he's got to take responsibility that this is problem behavior, which he doesn't seem to because he's getting defensive, but this is problem behavior. So if anything, if, if he doesn't want to go, I suggest you speak to somebody to figure out what keeps you in this relationship and to see what you can do for yourself. Uh, coming up, I've got great stories to share with you. One of them about women tweeting pictures of their uh, thong underwear. Why are they doing that? We'll find out next. Your relationship's on the line. Connect with Dr. Lori now. 514-790-0800. Passion. News Talk Radio. CJAD 800. Before I get into the undies story, let's talk about music a, a little bit. We had uh, an emailer write in about uh, wanting to find out if there's any uh, science around music and lovemaking. Does listening to music increase your sexual experience? And if so, what kind of music? So I just want to share some of the text here. One text says, make out music. Yes, but what kind of music is make out music? Uh, listening to music like classic tranquility is nice when you are riding the pony, but with the new problem of them listening in your household through Alexa, is that what it, is that what they do? Listen into your household? It makes you wonder who else is listening into your lovemaking. Okay, that's a bit creepy to me. That's really creepy. Uh, there's no question music accentuates the process of lovemaking. For myself, a woman in my 50s now, it has always been a must since my early teens, including while masturbating alone, to the extent that way back when I used to make specific cassette comp compilations of various stimulating songs to play during masturbation and or sexual intercourse, all depending upon the mood, of course. But in my opinion, the best music for engaging is simultaneously sensual and rhythmic. My all-time favorite being anything from Enigma, without fail. Enigma, you just uh, awoke a memory. Enigma is great. Uh, what's your favorite um, make-out or sex music? I'd love to uh, love to hear that. Uh, um, Another story that you've been listening to on our news, uh, CJD has been reporting it, and just made me absolutely ill, is uh, the story about the Quebecer in the Dominican Republic who uh, attempted to have sex with a seven-year-old girl whose dad brought this little girl to him. Imagine. Uh, this is just sick. 
Anyhow, I, I don't want to go into any more detail than that. Mind you, we don't have too many details, but that's it. Uh, Marvin Gaye, Let's Get It On, has to be the all-time best makeout song. Like that one, too. Dave, maybe we can play some of the sexy music uh, tonight. Uh, it would be fun. Reggae, reggae, re- reggae, while camping to boot, but watch out, it causes babies. <laughs> well, you know, why? Does reggae make you forget to put on your condom? Really? What music do you listen to that increases your sexual experience? Maybe we'll get some of Dave's faves coming up um, after our next break. All right. Women are tweeting photos of their underwear after a teenager's thong was cited in a rape trial. This is, took place in Ireland. Protests have taken place all over Ireland after um, a teenager was was wearing these underwear and it was cited in this trial. So this guy was accused of raping her. And in the course of the trial, the defense lawyer, a woman, held up a pair of the 17-year-old's underwear in court and asked, you have to look at the way she was dressed. She was wearing a thong with a lace front. The 27-year-old man was found not guilty of raping the teenager earlier this month. don't know a lot of the details, but let me tell you, a lot of people were up in arms about this. Um, Not that they were questioning the verdict of the case. It had nothing to do with the verdict of the case, because obviously there's many, many, many factors that go into deciding whether somebody is guilty or not. It's not just based on that. But as a, a person from the rape, uh, crisis center there said these kinds of mythologies and stereotypes around rape come up again and again in court cases because the defense to rape is that the sex was consensual so anything the defendant can do to suggest there was consent uh, will be used after that uh, and, and simply put clothing is not a consent this is uh, again the kind of uh, victim blaming right this is a, a archaic victim blaming and has no place in the court systems and this is what uh, the news feeds were all about so demonstrations across ireland and beyond uh, began protesting the handling of the court case and started an online movement hashtag this is not consent after the trial uh, and kick-started by another campaign group, um, I Believe Her. And so people were, uh, basically, uh, women were tweeting images of their underwear, asking how attitudes around consent remained archaic and deeply problematic. Many of the women who tweeted about the case said that using the teenager's underwear in court was victim blaming. So in a show of support, women were basically tweeting uh, photos of their underwear. There you go. Of course, for underwear fetishists, that must have been really fun, but we won't go there. Usually they want them mailed to them. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. Uh, what if the accused is, was actually innocent? Should he not have done whatever necessary to prove his innocence? So, uh, okay. Um, he was he was proven not guilty, so let's assume he was innocent. That's okay. Nobody's disputing that. But do whatever is necessary. Uh, I guess that's exactly what they were grasping at. Except that, does that have a place in the courts now? Blaming. Imagine you're 
the victim is alleged victim is being blamed because of the underwear she was wearing. So if she had been wearing granny panties, would would the uh, defendant's lawyer showed the granny panties? Would that have been well? Look at what she was wearing, because we already know that clothing has nothing to do with rape. Makes no sense. Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that before you actually did, Lori, as it nauseated me as well. I guess you're talking about the uh, the story about the seven year old and the adult. Yeah, that's pretty uh, pretty disturbing. Very very disturbing. All right, you want to know about sexual fantasies? Research done by a colleague of mine, uh, Justin Lou Miller, uh, Lee Miller, uh, talks about uh, uh, sexual fantasies. Interviewed over 4,000 Americans from all around the states. I think I may have reported some parts of this before, but here's a recap of this. Seven fascinating facts about sexual fantasies. Uh, there's one person who's more likely to appear in your sexual fantasies than anyone else. Who do you think that is? It is your current romantic partner. That is who you are most likely fantasizing about. If you're single, your fantasies usually revolve around ex-partners. Uh, those are the ones most likely to appear in your fantasies. Having a threesome was the most popular sexual fantasy, as if we didn't already know that. Uh, but while having a threesome was the most popular, it was also the fantasy that was least likely to turn out well when people acted on them. So think about that before you jump in and say, yeah, let's invite somebody into the bedroom. And remember, fantasies are your own creation. Reality is a different thing. Reality, you've got to deal with emotions and you have to deal with talking and, and all kinds of other things. Um, maybe some uncertainties, uh, maybe the roles like you in your head, you had your partner doing one thing and in reality, they did another thing. So oftentimes people are uh, not so thrilled that they um, acted on that. Uh, most of us fantasize about changing ourselves in some way in our sexual fantasies, whether it's our genital appearance, our body, our age, or our personality. Um, guess what? Men are more likely to change their genitals, and I'm sure they're likely to imagine them as huge, right? Uh, women uh, fantasize about being more dominant than they are in reality. Men fantasize more about being submissive than they actually are. Uh, men and women have a lot in common when it comes to their sexual fantasies as well, although there are certainly some differences in what men and women fantasize about. Men are more likely to have multi-partner fantasies and to have them often. Uh, women, though, are more likely to have passion and romance fantasies and to have them often. And if you start looking now at uh, pornography, for example, and what uh, people are searching for, one of the, uh, the top searches this year was for romance. So more and more women are watching porn and more and more women are, are seeking what they like, which is uh, passion and romance fantasies. And they're looking for that in uh, the movies that they watch as well. Uh, however, most of the things that men are fantasizing about, guess what? Women are fantasizing about it too and vice versa. Uh, the vast majority of people, more than three quarters, said they want to act out on their biggest sexual fantasy of all time. 
However, relatively few have actually done it. So there is a big gap between uh, what people will do and uh, what people think about and then what people uh, will do. So interesting. I love this. For the most part, people who acted on their favorite sexual fantasies, though, did report um, that things turned out well, except for the threesome, just overall. So uh, these, this is what your fantasies say about you. Uh, let's see. Text writes, I understand, but we assume that a woman claiming rape is always telling the truth. But if she isn't, then it's harder for a falsely accused rape victim to get acquitted than for a person charged with murder simply because we assume the woman is always telling the truth. I'm not victim bashing, but I also don't believe that every rape accuser is always telling the truth all the time in every case. I am in complete agreement with you on that. Uh, absolutely, there have been false claims, uh, enough false claims to warrant uh, – uh, well, to to be distressing, frankly, I I don't think it's about the argument of whether there's false claims or not false claims. It's what arguments are being used. Do we, it's a question of what, what we blame it on. We blame the victim for wearing certain clothing. So because you wore those clothes, that's why uh, you, you set yourself up to be raped. That was the implication. And that's what people are fighting, not whether the truth was being told uh, or not. So, um, I think that's, that's pretty clear. Kids as young as eight sharing nude pictures online. Now that is scary. And that's what we'll look at next year after we check in with the CJD 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. It's sex out loud and you're welcome to listen in passion on CJAD 800. Yeah, you're right. That is music to make love to Marvin Gaye. As one of our texters said, somebody else uh, suggested the Embrya album by Maxwell is also great makeout music. Just let it play and experience sensual magic. If you're just tuning in, uh, I had a, a listener who sent in um, a question about music and its impact on sexuality. And we we're just talking about uh, the kind of music that you listen to. Does it increase your sexual experience? And if so, what kind of music do you listen to? Love to hear your thoughts at 514-800. This was um, alarming, this next story that I'm going to share with you. So if you have young children, listen in really, really carefully. Uh, Police are warning parents after four young New Brunswick children voluntarily shared nude images of themselves online. The kids were uh, between the ages of eight And 12, we're not talking teenagers here. We're not talking teenagers dating and wanting to connect with others or anything like that. But these young kids, according to these RCMP, shared nude photos or videos on unspecified free websites in recent months. Uh, The RCMP has an internet child exploitation unit, and they identified the children who had not been asked for the images, but simply shared them. So nobody solicited the images from them. I'm not quite sure why, uh, but they say there were uh, no offenders, at least in the four cases. All the children have been confirmed to be safe, uh, and the police have spoken to their families. The Mounties say such image sharing is becoming more common, and they are encouraging parents to be vigilant about what children are doing online. Um, 
it is unfortunately becoming uh, even more common for young people, even children, to share exploitative photos and videos of themselves online. And once it's online, it can't always be removed. Many young people also don't realize that publicly sharing images or videos of a sexual nature of a person under the age of 18 is a child pornography offense. Sure, go try and arrest an eight-year-old for that, but uh, nonetheless. Um, They said in an interview, children need to understand that they shouldn't do anything online that they wouldn't do at the mall. And I think this is a a good one to start teaching uh, our kids. As soon as they go on to the computer, we need to start talking to them about uh, media. Basically, we're talking about media literacy here, what they can and can't do. Um, You need to have these conversations about appropriate online behaviors. You need to know what sites your children are visiting. You need to put controls on, on, uh, on your computer's as well, uh, and it's again never too early to talk to your children. And this is a this has to do with sexuality, nudity, sexuality, the the impact of it uh, on sexuality, at least in terms of you know the arrests and the child pornography and and all of that stuff. So we need to be able to start addressing this kind of stuff. But if we're squeamish about talking to little kids about sexuality. It's going to be hard for us to bring this up, but we need to protect them. So the only, the main reason for talking to children early on about sexuality is to protect them and from this kind of thing as well. So we need to talk to them about sexuality and talk to them about online behavior and all of that. Uh, they do give a website, which I think is good for parents. So uh, if you want to get advice, it's called CyberTip. .ca so www.cybertip.ca for any parents who um, want to look uh, and get some advice as to what they can do and maybe what controls Another texture about music writes, I don't have sex with any music and don't need it. We make our own music <laughs> with lots of smiley faces. Yes, or winky faces. Uh, good for you. Uh, nearly one in three Canadians have never been tested for a sexually transmitted infection. Uh, while 70% of Canadians believe that HIV is still a problem today, nearly one in three have never been tested themselves. Those are the findings of a recent survey of Canadians from coast to coast, uh, which was uh, conducted by uh, GRX along with Vice Canada, which is uh, unfortunate. Um, Many Canadians and even more uh, Americans don't feel comfortable speaking about STDs and STIs with their partner or potential partner for fears that it will freak them out and scare them is what they say. So they don't have the conversation and they don't get tested. That's uh, scary, which means we need adult sex education as well, not just for teens, but for us adults. Uh, Texter writes, um, I always wear sexy underwear because it makes me feel confident and sexy throughout my day, not because I want anyone apart from my significant other to touch me in any way. Uh, very true. That's exactly why it's not a defense. Uh, also, the best sex music, Ramstein. So I haven't heard that. Another one, Barry White will do it. That's so typical, the Barry White <laughs> songs, right? So typically sexy. Uh, but I like it. I like Barry White, so that's all good. 
so why are we all having so little sex? Uh, this is, uh, okay, this survey was done in the States. Are we any different? Uh, let's just say we're comparable in terms of, uh, of sexual behavior, okay? Uh, so according to the General Social Survey, which is a profile of American behavior gathered uh, by the, uh, from the University of Chicago since 1972, so they're gathering information for decades, and they're able to compare all of this, right? Uh, the fraction of people getting it on at least once a week fell from 45% in 2000, so in 2000, 45% of people were having sex once a week, to 36% in 2016. Uh, the data also showed that more than twice as many millennials were sexually inactive in their early 20s than the prior generation was. So, hookup culture or not hookup culture, huh? Uh, and the sharpest drop was the most recent for millennials uh, in the years 2014 to uh, 2016. In 2016, 4% fewer condoms were sold than the year before, and they fell to 3% in 2017. Teen sexuality uh, has been on a downward trend, downward trend since 1985, so less, uh, in other words, they're probably waiting longer. And fertility rate, the frequency at which babies are added to the population, is at a level not seen since the Great Depression. Wow. All this in an era where uh, we have... No more social stigma around premarital sex, uh, living together. Hookups are no longer really considered shameful. Uh, the uh, belief in limiting partners to one side of the gender line, no longer universal, right? Equal Equality for both. Uh, we have many forms of contraception. There's all kinds of technological advances which facilitate uh, partnerships and relationships like uh, Tinder, for example. Uh, there's uh, uh, been medications to help with erectile dysfunction in the last few decades. And yet, yet, we're having less sex. Nearly 20% of 18 to 29-year-olds reported having no sex at all in 2016. And that's almost a 50% rise over those who were celibate in the year 2000. Um, there was a, a paper that was uh, published in the Archives of Sexual Behavior that looked at this, at all of this, and talked about the, the downturn. And one of the reasons cited is, uh, is marriage. Married people are the ones having more sex than single people, and that's just a matter of logistics. Uh, the median age for first marriage in America is now 29 for men and 27 for women, and that's up from 27 and 25 in 1999. So every year we're seeing people getting married later and later. Uh, while young people are often more likely to live together than their uh, forebears, the number of cohabitating 20-somethings has remained constant, while the number of 20-something spouses has dropped. So there's a lot less uh, convenience sex going on, basically. Uh, but also, uh, married people are also having less sex, it seems, than uh, before. Too exhausted, not well, too many things to do, overly uh, you know, extended uh, with many things. So um, 
so overall, we're really having less sex. Now, this is analyzing data, by the way. Um, no, there was another paper analyzing data from 4 million individuals in 80 countries. And here's something interesting that they found is that having a TV set in the home was associated with a 5% drop in sexual frequency. And also it's hypothesized that maybe your smartphone, social media, streaming videos, all of that um, adds to the all the things that you do that keep us away uh, from uh, from sexuality. So it's affecting sexuality like it's affecting everything else that we do um, in life. Uh, coming up, apparently uh, many of us might actually be uh, psychopaths. I'll tell you all about that. Straight talk that's all-inclusive. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. I hope we're getting you in the mood for a little nookie tonight. <laughs> with all this wonderful music that our texters are sharing with us. Uh, another text writes, the Manhattan's R&B music never fails. Uh, on which kind of music increases your sexual experience and which kind you listen to during your lovemaking sessions. And on the underwear, uh, I wear cotton thongs because you don't see the panty lines when you are wearing tight pants or leggings. So true, sister, I hear you. Uh, all right, some of us, me included, uh, might just uh, be uh, psychopaths. I kid you not. Listen to this, what this study reveals. People who stay friends with their exes might be psychopaths, a new study reveals. Let, let that sink in for a minute. How many of us are friends with exes? And what happens if you are uh, friends with multiple exes? Are you like a really, really big psychopath? Wow, never thought of myself as such. But uh, let me share what this study is saying. Um, <laughs> the, the article starts with, is staying friends with an ex a form of desperate attempt to still remain in their lives, even with the knowledge that they don't feel the same about you anymore? Is it a form of denial that whatever you had going on is over? Not in my case, for sure not. I don't know about yours, but think about your exes and which ones you're friends with. A recent study carried out by Oakland University researchers suggests that if your ex-partner wants to remain friends with you after ending things with them, they might have serious personality issues. They could be a psychopath. And here's why. Uh, this, uh, by the way, was published in Personality and Individual Differences. It's a journal, uh, a peer-reviewed journal. Uh, they analyzed the personality traits portrayed by 861 people and their past relationships. Participants were asked to answer questions pertaining to their current relationships and also to state whether they stayed friends with their exes or not. This was then followed by the scientists having them fill a questionnaire to determine psychopathic and narcissistic tendencies. Apparently the results were shocking. Uh, those people who were found to be still friends with their exes showed personality traits similar to the ones psychopaths portray. I need to do that test. Um, you're asking maybe what is a psychopath? A psychopath is someone who portrays uh, some sort of moral insanity. A psychopath shows traits like lack of empathy, poor behavioral controls, lack of realistic goals, impulsivity, failure to accept reality, selfishness. Um, 
and refusing to accept that a relationship is over and wanting to cling to someone who is no longer interested in you, well, apparently, you check all of the aforementioned boxes. Okay, that's scary, first of all. Uh, and I think many of us are friends with our ex, not simply, not because we refuse to accept that a relationship is over, but simply because we no longer have those kinds of feelings for them and can remain friends with them because they're good people. Uh, isn't that a possibility? So uh, according to this uh, research, remaining close to an ex is a strategy employed by psychopaths to continue enjoying the benefits of that failed relationship. Uh, some of these benefits include money, sex, and information. Psychopaths will try to use tricks and false charm to manipulate their way back into a failed relationship. The idea of their ex moving on with someone else doesn't sit well with them. They will want to stick around and monitor every single thing that you do and try as hard as possible to prevent you from moving on. Okay, that's just crazy. That's just a crazy ex. I, that isn't the one you want to keep friends with. Um, they will keep reminding you of what you had in the past with the hope that you will change your mind about not wanting to be with them anymore. In the end, the ex-partner cannot move on. And if they do, they will do whatever it takes to ruin their new relationship. Psychopaths are selfish and put their needs before everyone else's. They will try to tie down their ex-partners to the past because it is convenient for them. The needs of the people they claim to love do not matter at all to a psychopath. So bottom line, if you have a clingy ex, clingy ex okay not if you're friends and you're on the same page and there's no clingy and you just uh, like each other as friends and you both agree oh you're good people it just didn't work out that's not clingy behavior but if you have a clingy ex then you should definitely be cautious around them because they may be exhibiting clear traits of psychopathic behavior this gives you a lot to think about especially if you've got an ex hanging around, checking your social media, connecting with you on social media when you don't want them to. But see, that's not a mutual friendship to me. So there is something sick about that when it's not um, mutual. Uh, Texter writes, uh, sometimes with an ex, you can have great conversations and exchange opinions and give each other great advice. Yes, sometimes you can, if you have that kind of, uh, friendship now, right? It would be a, a friendship where you care about each other and you want the best for the other. A psychopath does not want the best for you. They want the best for them. So that would be very different. Uh, sounds like the divisors of the study are psychopaths, considering it's not abnormal to still like someone as a person should you not be romantically compatible. Hey, I am totally in agreement with you on that one. Totally in agreement. Uh, I, I guess statistically from their point of view and, and what they found, it was remember, statistical significance. But as one says, uh, talk about overgeneralizations and you are a hundred percent right. It is an overgeneralization when we say that all exes, uh, if, if we, anybody who's friends with an ex is a psychopath, that is a, a complete overgeneralization. And, uh, last week, or earlier in the week, I did talk about this. I think it was last Friday when I talked about how we need to 
be really savvy when listening to or uh, reading um, studies because the headlines are usually over generalizations, right? Like this one, people who stay friends with their exes might be psychopaths. So people, meaning all people who stay friends with their ex, of course not all people. There has to be context to this. Uh, and this is the interpretation of that one study. So I always say, when you hear things like this, please take with a grain of salt, uh, be critical about it, think about it, how many people did they, who does this apply to, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we don't just take the headlines, but we want to be, uh, uh, we have to also look at the limitations of certain uh, of studies that we read and we can't overgeneralize. But nonetheless, it was an interesting finding and I'm sure it is true for many, especially if the ex is clingy, but for the most, I think for most of us who have relationships with an ex, uh, it's not like that at all at all, where it is exactly like, hey, we were not compatible romantically, but you're a nice person, I'm a nice person, we can still be friends, why not? Um, so that's really the bottom line. All right, a millennial sex survey was done by Skin Condoms looking at uh, the uh, millennials' favorite sexual uh, position. So this is the 2018 edition the uh, the default sex position would be the missionary uh, position, um, but guess what took over that position in 2018? Doggy style. Yep, a missionary used to maintain a healthy lead with more than a third of survey participants calling it their favorite, but it dropped dramatically to under a quarter of those uh, surveyed this year. So, uh, I'm not sure. Doggy style had always been the second pick in the survey. And then it, uh, it jumped up with 31% declaring it their preferred, uh, position. So, uh, most demographics, in fact, not just millennials called it their favorite, though the lead got smaller, the younger, uh, you go. And this was uh, the position. Doggy style was particularly popular for its deeper penetration and increased uh, female orgasm. If you want to know third place, cowgirl, 18% of uh, the vote. So there you have it. Doggy style now the preferred position. But again, it's one survey. One survey. We don't make full generalizations. Uh, clearly, such a study has incorporated interaction biases. Well, there's always biases in any study that you uh, that you do, and I love to see studies replicated with different uh, um, populations. In fact, even better. Uh, all right, that's it for us. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get to all of your texts, but I promise on uh, on Monday. I'll share uh, what's left over here as uh, it may be interesting to some of you. Uh, thank you so much for spending your evening with me and for spending this week uh, with us as well. And thanks for all of your texts and your, your musical selections for great lovemaking tonight. A great help to many, I'm sure. Uh, thanks to our technical producer, Dave Simon, our passion researcher, Linda DeLisi. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Petito or my website, drlori.com. Coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening, a fabulous weekend, and remember to live your life with passion. <laughs>